Being quarantined in our homes, away from many, if not all, of our loved ones, is not a thing to celebrate. But it does afford us, despite real fears and discomfort, a great deal of time for meditation and reflection. Hopefully, God and Other Delicacies can be one of the ways in which you find a sliver of optimism in your day and the welcome warmth of connecting deeply with someone you've just met for the first time. Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Agosto. Thank you all for being here. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Enver Jokai to the show. Enver is a professional television, film, and stage actor. He's got a long list of credits, but he's best known for his work as Daniel Sousa in Marvel's Agent Carter and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and as Victor in Joss Whedon's Dollhouse. Recently, you would have seen him on ABC's Emergence. He's played off-Broadway in New York and graduated with a master's degree from NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. But most important to the man presently reading you this biography is that Enver and I played cousins, who are really more like brothers, in a pilot called Eden about eight years ago. <laughs> That's where we became friends, and that friendship is how I got him in here to sit and talk with me about God for an hour. I'm thrilled to have him here. Welcome to the show, Enver. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Now, Enver and I were just talking off mic about how he's been traveling a lot, and I had to cut him off so I could start the show. So, Enver, please just start again. Listen, I'm a, I'm a lazy traveler. When I go somewhere, I like to go somewhere for at least three weeks. My rule is at least three weeks in one spot. Well, see, um, that's not lazy. That's thoughtful in the sense, maybe you think it's lazy. Maybe there's an aspect of this that you're going to tell me is lazy. But what's nice about that is you get to know a place. I don't like to be a backpacker. I, those days are gone. Right. I want to go yeah. somewhere. Right. Like uh, I went to Chiang Mai, Thailand for about a month. Rad. And was there for the Festival of Life and then just stayed. Met all kinds of people and... And all the cool stuff to me happens after week two. It's right around week two where you meet some cool locals and then you get into some cool shit. Oh, wow. That's like, that's when it happens. So you're so, going to local parties. You're going over to people's houses for like, they've they got some I don't some know, shindig. man. I just get in, I get into stuff. I'm, you know, you start, I don't know, you go somewhere and you take a yoga class or something or you get involved and you meet expats or locals and then they just, I, I have found that once people find out that you're somewhere and they find out that it's just you. If you're traveling with somebody, they'll be like, oh, cool, have fun. If they find out it's just you, they'll be like, oh, it's just, oh, come with us. Like wow. we're, And I have had so many people just grab me and be like, all right, well, you're with us now. That's uh, rad, man. Yeah. So you went to Chiang Mai by yourself? I've been all over, yeah. Last last couple of years, I, I did a lot of, I think I've been to 26 countries in the last wow, three man. or four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's I've done amazing. A lot of traveling. You get a hotel room or whatever somewhere. For like a week or something. Yeah. And then you just, maybe you'll stay at that hotel for another few weeks and just keep renting the place. Or maybe you end up like seeing somebody else and like you're hanging out at somebody's house for a few nights or... I used to plan travel and now I don't plan it anymore. Because what would happen is the first time I went traveling, I, I planned everything out. And then you meet people and then they're doing something else. And right. then you have to make this decision of it, canceling your travel plans or now I just go with it. I talk about God. Like I just kind of go with the flow and I, I will book two to three nights right off the top, just just so just I know settled. I have a place to to land. But you're always wrong. It. You're always wrong. No matter how much research you do, you get on the ground. You know, you get on the ground. And you realize, oh, this isn't the cool place to be. I want to be in a different neighborhood, or right. I want to be here. Or anyway, oh, I, rad, I just kind of play it by ear. Yeah. I used to, I did one trip, uh, boy, I was so proud of myself that I took one trip by myself. You've taken 26 countries uh, by yourself. But I, I did one trip back, you know, like 10 years ago. I went to Scotland by myself and did three weeks around Scotland. And I, I did um, the theater festival there. Why can't the fringe? And then I did, you know, got around and I did like a bike trip in there and stuff like that. And it was, it is that extraordinary thing where you, I did, I met people along the way and you... You also discover you, there's so much time for reflection and you really get to sit and take a place in. And I've done the Southeast Asia travel with friends, but you're right. You know, when you're with friends like you do, you just kind of hang out with your your homies. And that's great. But I like that you're dis you're disappearing into the fabric of the place. It's the best and the worst. Like when you're traveling alone, it's a, it's a, like sure, an existential right. crisis a little bit sometimes. You're like, what are, what what's the I existential doing? crisis? It's just the best and the worst. You 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 will meet people because because you're forced to, you're forced to get back into a frame of mind of meeting people and saying hi. And, oh, right. And getting out of your- You're like, the choice is like, I'm fucking lonely, or right. I fucking just sit next to this person at this bar and start talking to them. And and it can be where you just still, I mean, it can be very lonely. It can yeah. be extremely lonely. But, sure, man. I definitely remember that feeling. But yeah, so uh, yeah, that's a fun one. But to that's travel. great though, to take yourself to that place. 
I mean, have did you make a lot of? I mean, we're jumping deep into the conversation at this point. I'm right. happy to just go there. Right. Uh, I can get back to breakfast in a little bit. Did you take journals with you? Did you have a lot of deep I moments? Wish I, of, I wish I was a journaler, and I wish I took pictures and saved pictures. Like I just don't live that way. I I, I don't. I'm always thinking forward, you know, I don't keep journals. I don't look at journals. I don't like nothing. I'm like, what's the point? Like we're in the moment taking pictures, taking selfies. I don't get it. Like stopping the moment in order to catalog the moment feels very like counterintuitive to me. It just doesn't, I I, I will do it sometimes because I'm like, I need something. I, I recently got on a online dating profile. Which I, I do you want to do you want to mention which one it is so that our listeners no, no, someone no, can fall in not. love with you? <laughs> I would rather not. But I had to go through and find some pictures of me. And I don't have pictures of me. Oh, I wow. take pictures of my friends. And like I'm taking, I take my thing out and I'm like, I want to I want to remember everybody else. But I have no pictures of me. And I'm realizing, like, oh my God, I don't have photos of me because I just never stopped to take photos of myself. I know what I look like, you know? So <laughs> Why you, do I need to catalog that? You know? That is very funny. That is very anathema. So I'm, try, I'm trying to go through person. and put together a profile and I have no photos except for my headshot as an actor. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's not obnoxious to put on a yeah, professional video. photos. So yeah, did no you have way. to like start calling your friends and be like, listen, you got any pictures of me, man? I did. I did. I called. I was like, do you have any photos of me? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. You'd have to, you know? I found a couple. You know what helps is the uh, facial recognition where they can search and like, I find. I finally, you know, in Google photo, you can oh. go through and click on your face and it'll go through and find you in all the photos. God, and I found I, a couple. I don't think I realized that, but I mean, but I, I don't, I'm speaking of God, like I, I, you know, that to me is, is, is where, that's where God is, is like, is in the present moment, mm. you know? Like I, I don't really... I have a particular view of God that is a little bit like, okay, if there's an ant on the floor, right? What does the ant think about when I'm walking around? You know, how does the ant comprehend my existence, mm. right? And the ant would would have barely any idea. Like it's just like, oh, there's danger or, or there's right, not danger, is, yeah, exactly. right? There's not a huge comprehension of me there's and, an and my worries the, and what's wind, going on. There's something shaking What me. a human is and what the human world is. Like God is like that to me, mm. at least, and if I think that God is the creator of the universe or the underlying energy of the entire universe, then it's going to be more than that, mm-hmm. right? It's going mm-hmm. to be, even as a very young kid, it has always struck me as odd that somebody imagined that they could speak for God's mm. thinking. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They could correctly represent God's desires, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I don't think any one person could possibly do that because we have brains and we're just, we can't possibly comprehend that. But I do feel like, you know, I heard this great analogy one time that, you know, that you can't see the wind, but you can see the wind's effect on the trees, Mm -hmm. right? So you can see the trees. So that we have these ways of being like, I don't know, I can't see God, but I can see the effect of God in my life at different times. And also for me, I always always think I I know where God is. God is right now. Mm. God's not somewhere in the future and, and or somewhere in the past. That my higher power, personally, just me, all of this will be... Hey, this is your I, time. Disclaimer, disclaimer. This is all just speaking for me uh, and what seems to work for me, but uh, my higher power is always one breath away, right here, one breath mm. away, and the, like reconnect and get back here in my body, in the present moment, in the six feet that surrounds me. That's where God is, you know? Not in some intellectual realm or that it exists within an interaction with other people. I don't know what God is, but... It's somewhere in my interactions with other people. There's some God there. I have no idea. I mean, I can't, I think that's the whole thing is it's elusive. I'm the ant trying to be like, you know, there's something stomping around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Right. This is, this so, is so when I travel, thing. to bring it back around a little bit, like sure. when I travel, I think the whole point to me, I'm missing the point if I've planned it out. I'm missing the whole point. Like the really, I go there and I get off a plane and I'm like, okay, God, universe, universal intelligence, whatever it is, what's the ride? You know, what's what's the ride now? Who am I supposed to meet, you know, and waiting? And actually not, and I think there's there's two different ways of living your life. And I, and I tried the other way where it's like, let me stranglehold everything and plan everything and I will guarantee my outcomes. Mm. But I have just found in my life the things that have surprised me that I didn't plan even things that were huge disappointments turned out to be so much for the better. You know, like I I really, God, I look at my whole life and I'm like, thank God, I really do. I'm so grateful. I thank God that I did not get what I wanted when I wanted it. Hmm. You know, 
I really do. I, 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 I just think back on all the things that I was like, just praying to God, like, please just give me this job, person, whatever, you know, why won't this work out? And then it didn't. And I was deeply, deeply upset for a long time. And then something better came along. You and I were talking off mic a little bit about this uh, ahead of time, and and you do seem to be at a really good place right now, where you're. It does at least you're you're spitting good game about it. It seems like it's true where it's you're talk. saying where you're saying where you're saying. I mean, look, of course it's not 100 percent of the time. You've also said like, look, yeah, I have bad moments, but what you're saying is most of the time you seem to be locating that you're not living with a lot of regret. That you're looking back, going. You know, man, things took a twist here. And I'm not even look, I'm not even trying to pin one thing on you. I'm just saying yeah. we all live with regrets in our life. We all live with some sense of, oh, I wish I would have zigged when I zagged, or or you can do that. We all have the opportunity to look back and go, yeah. boy, if I would have just gone that way, I wonder what would have happened. But we didn't go that way. We went this way for whatever reason. And what you're saying here and what you were saying to me off mic is it seems like you're in a very reverent place of gratitude was a word. Well, I wish I could say I got there out of, you know, if I wrote a book, it would be like body slammed into Buddhism. You know, like it would, <laughs> I, I like that it title. It was not, yeah. Seriously, it, I genuinely like I that I feel title. <laughs> like I got really, that was not something that I was cultivating. It was not something that I was interested in. Like a relationship with a higher power was not something I was interested in. I can't say that I cultivated some sense of Zen, what happened is I just became deeply unhappy with my life wow. and, and got to a point where I got a lot of the things that I set out to get when I wanted to become an actor. And I was still not happy, very, very resentful of, of things that I felt like, you know, it just, you get to a point where this, this industry, you don't stay the same. Mm -hmm. You come to LA, you don't just stay the same person. You either get really, really jaded or you find some way to manage the scar tissue. And I'm not, and listen, disclaimer, we're not coal miners here, right? Yeah, like no. I, I, there, right. there are it's a good thing people who are, who are difficulties in life. But I will say, and what I'll stick behind is the amount of rejection that an actor faces in his lifetime is probably more than anybody. I've talked to a lot of people who do crazy stuff and they're like, I cannot fathom. Like they will have to go out and get a job. The average, average person has to go out and get a job once every Four years. Yeah, I was just gonna. I was gonna take a guess, like somewhere between two. And, I was literally gonna say three. So two to four years. Yeah. I am even in success. I am always without a job. I am always doing job interviews, and people will call me, and they're like freaking out. They're like, "I uh, uh, And I'm like, "That's my life." And you know, it gets to you. At a certain point, it got to me, and I, I remember, I remember literally where I was sitting. I was smoking a cigarette and drinking whiskey on my mm. back uh, porch when I literally just was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. This is it. And actually when I thought that, I remember exactly where I was sitting. I was looking out at Glendale, like the lights of Glendale. I was smoking a cigarette. And I thought, what if I don't do this anymore? And this wave of relief, mm. hit, relief hit me. Because all these things that I had really, all these dreams that had been so positive when I, when I first had them, like I want to be an actor, I want to do this, right? had at some point, I don't know, blah, 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 imperceptibly become a club, a measuring stick that I was never going to measure up to, or a club that I used to beat myself. Like everything was good, but it wasn't good enough. And I remember I just was like, this is, I, I don't like this anymore. I don't want, I don't want to do this anymore. And everything didn't switch overnight. So I'd like to say like, you know, the good, in the good story, like I go out the next morning and like everything switches. But it, but, sure, man, but that story's bullshit. But that's bullshit. Like everything didn't change overnight. There was there was another like three years after that that was, but that was the moment when I realized I was like, this is not, my higher purpose was me, you know? Me living for the higher purpose of me being a, I don't know, a big shot fucking actor or whatever, or, you know, proving to people this or that or whatever, that that just wasn't going to make me happy, you know? And I got it. I really had a lot of the stuff that I had always told myself, if you just get this, mm. you will be happy. And mm -hmm. I couldn't deny to myself that I had that. And I was really miserable. I knew that, you know, something was wrong and something was amiss. And it took me a couple years to really, for that dead limb to like really fall off, you know, like. For, That's fucking great though, man. This is so great. I, I appreciate you uh, sharing openly about it. You know, I, 
absolutely have these feelings. I share these. We were talking again a little off mic. There's a lot of language that we share when you've been doing this for as long as we've been doing it. Yeah. Um, well, I love when interviews happen like this where I feel like uh, usually where you were just at is typically the end of the interview. No, I like to get into it. <laughs> no, you know what? I like to get it. I love this when you go to a party and you start yeah. talking. I'm one of those people, like, it's hard for me. I love to jump right into well, it. Like, what's a, going on with you? Like, let's talk about God. Let's talk. You know, I, yeah. Well, I, then then look. I find myself inappropriately having these conversations with people at like a party or something. And like, we'll be like, whoa, like we got, yeah. Well, that's why it's great to see you, man. And uh, because it's been a while since we really sat and rapped like this. I, I mean, look, man, <laughs> I do a show about this shit. So let's keep, let's keep going. We're going to take a quick break. And then I'm going to talk to Enver where he wants to jump off uh, after that break. All right. All right, everybody, we're back with Enver, and the second section of the show will actually be much like what the beginning of the show usually is. <laughs> um, Enver, what did you have for breakfast this morning? What did I have for breakfast? Uh, nothing. Oh, you haven't eaten? Nothing. No, I, I do the uh, intermittent fasting, so I, oh. I, I don't really eat breakfast normally. Intermittent fasting, is that the one where you make sure that you do like 12 hours a day you don't eat? Yeah, yeah. So you, you so you go to bed? Yeah. It's so like you yeah. ate at six or something last night. Uh-huh. And then you don't eat again until lunch the next day. That's the idea. Yeah. And then- Eating in, eating in smaller windows is the idea. And then the, because the body then is able to like really burn through and then starts burning fat and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Has it been good for you? It has. It has. I mean, you, you look fantastic. Th- well, thank you very much. But I've, right. I've, that's n- imperceptible from the person I've known always. You've always looked good. Yeah, I mean, it's more for a health thing, you know. I being on set is really hard. I started doing it on sets because, this, as you know, set food is horrible. Sure, it is impossible to. I also do it on set in in a not to interrupt. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. but I also do it on set, not consciously, but mostly just because I can't eat all. I know I'm not supposed to eat that shit. I'll crash right. all that stuff. Well, and it's hard because you're you're on set and so you're working a bunch and you have, you're thinking about other things and eventually on set planning three healthy meals on set based on the set food that they have becomes like a full-time job. Yeah, you're, it's impossible. You're, you're, I have a friend who takes a scale with him. <laughs> like it's trying to like figure how out how much of the crappy set pasta he can eat. You know, it's, so this is much easier. You're just like, okay, I'll eat in a smaller window. And that's why I started doing it on set and it worked so well that I just kind of. Oh, that's great. Just continued it. Yeah. So the answer is unfortunately nothing. Wow, man. So you've had, did you, did you have coffee this morning at your place or do you drink coffee? Do you drink caffeine? I don't drink caffeine anymore. I don't, oh my God, it's healthy as fuck, I sound, this is horrible. It's not You know when you start talking and you listen to yourself and you're like, I'm actually, I got to a point where. Nothing to be ashamed of to get off any drugs, buddy. It's all good. Well, it felt like somehow caffeine was this drug that started to like work really well for me too well. Like the older I got, the more I would just get wired and wired and wired. I would find myself in a moment where I was almost gabbing like I was in a meth psychosis, right? Where I would just just be like talking a million miles a minute. And I'm like, what is going on with me? And I realized I had like three or four coffees that morning. Right. So I started to like kind of cut it down. And then eventually I liked... I don't really like the effect anymore. It really gets me wired. I, I don't know why. It just gets me totally... Well, you're a high-energy guy. I'm a high-energy guy, but I, with my son, I'm exhausted so often that like the coffee is... It's a drug that I... I mean, I, I mean I'm aware that it's a drug. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to try to act like I don't know it's a drug. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I like drugging myself in the morning mm-hmm. with coffee. It feels good. And then in the afternoon, I take a walk or I work out or something like that, and then I crash... Right now, I still enjoy the high. This podcast and gets, is so hardcore. We're like talking <laughs> about like intermittent fasting and like hey the man, drugs that we do. It's, the, it's <laughs> fucking life, buddy. It's life. Yeah. Um, it's a healthy life, man. If, we, if you can sit and talk about uh, caffeine as your drug, uh, then yeah, exactly. You're not, exactly. you're doing yeah, all right. Cut it back, man. It's too intense. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but it's a good thing to remember too. I mean, I'm also prone to anxiety and if I over caffeinate, it makes the anxiety worse. So yeah. it's, it's important to always be taking stock of yourself. I think it's the intermittent fasting thing is cool. There are lots of people, because I ask about breakfast, I end up getting a lot of like people talking about diets or what they're yeah. doing and their rhythms. You know, I like that because I do think that those things are as important to your mental health as anything else, as 
doing yoga and working out and stuff. What you're eating and putting in your body, what you're drinking is immensely important to your mental health and to where you are, which rolls into things like your spirituality and your gratitude right. and gratefulness. Like all of those things can be impediments if you're allowing them to become impediments. So I enjoy these conversations partly because they're innocuous, but then there's like an yeah, element I, of, there's a deeper sense of which direction it's pointing a person. I think I think for me too, the appeal of intermittent fasting is that I, in my ideal world, somebody would knock on the door once a day and like you would get filled up with fuel like a gas tank. You oh know? yeah, you don't I, even like eating. I, 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 I do love food. First of all, and, and I and I'll cheat on the weekends, and weekends are insane. I mean, it I, people will get scared when they go out and eat with me. I love breakfast food. Oh. I love waffles, pancakes, like brunches. My my steez. I don't really. I don't like doing dishes. Did you just say steez? What's that? Like yeah, my steez is my. What thing. does steez mean? I don't know. It's just my steez. Like <laughs> hold on, come on. You're dropping a new slang on me. I've never even heard it. I don't know. Maybe this is something steez? I just say with Demir, with my twin brother. I don't know. Anyway, it, no, 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 no. We have to go into this for a second. Is it is it a language <laughs> thing? Do because you, you speak. I don't a know where that even came from. You speak is that a different a language. Don't don't you speak multiple no, languages? No. no. I don't know where that's from, but I do because I have a twin brother. Yeah, we do have, and we and I forget that we have words that we use with each other. That's great. Um, and then I'll say it in public, and somebody will be like, "What the hell are you?" Like talking I about? just did. Uh, so maybe that okay. Was it. So breakfast is your steez. That's my thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just these things delight me. Okay, go on. Uh, I hate doing dishes. Like every single dish uh, is like losing a little bit of my soul. So the the appeal is also eating less during the day, I can just go. I can just get up and go. Yeah, and overall my energy levels are so much better. As soon as I start, as soon as I eat food, I have a huge crash. I gave up meat a few years ago. I eat only um, like veggie meats, uh, yeah. which sometimes are can be more processed, but, but still I have felt so much lighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still get my protein from eggs and peanut butters and things like that right. and, um, and veggie meats and things. I feel cleaner. The machine runs better. It's amazing how much um, eating. I used to eat so many cheeseburgers and steaks, right. and yeah, but you just I, can't get away with it anymore. I mean, I yeah. I just turned forty. I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm in better shape than I was when I was thirty for sure. But it, you just can't do this. I'm not doing any of the stuff I was doing in thirty. Like you know, like I was eating all kinds of stuff, and you, you get to you get to an age where you just can't do it anymore. As an actor, you have to kind of work smarter, not harder. We have and, to be hyper-conscious the way we fucking look. We just have to say it, right? We got to look all right. We got to feel good. You got to feel like you're, you've got your energy. You know, you can't fuck well, around on that stuff. Also, there's, I think there's some people that kind of look good when they're fat. I, that's not me. Yeah. There's there's some moments in my career where I was starting to get like a little, like my face gets like wide. You know, there's some people that look great. Like where you're like, oh, wow, that's a great look for you. Is like, you look jolly or you look, I do not. I yeah. do not look good when I put a little weight on. So, you know, you just got to. I have like a little cherubim face. You have an interesting story about being introduced to the idea of God. And so the question is how and when were you introduced to the idea of God? I'm excited to get into that part. Uh, okay. Yeah. So uh, I was introduced to God, I think, as a as a child. My grandmother was religious, but when I where I really remember it is when I went to my foster parents uh, in Northern California. And now I'll just do a disclaimer. This is all as I remember it which is really all that matters. Uh, and so, you know, but this my, is if, fair. If my I family listens this. to it. You know, I, I talk to different members of my family. You talk to a different person that you get a different story from everybody. Will you quickly, just because there's a couple things in there that I don't actually remember about your family makeup. You have foster parents. You had a grandmother. Was your grandmother biological? Uh, yes. So my, do you mind talking a little bit? About I don't mind this? talking about it because, and I know my mother doesn't cause she's all good now. And she, she was a, a drug addict. Okay. And so we were kind of bouncing around a bunch, uh, and she is now fast forward to the future as a marriage and family therapist, and oh, how wonderful! Uh, and as man. a fant- fantastic practice, and we have a, f- a wonderful relationship with each other. So great, ha- that's a happy story thing to hear. You know? Yeah, uh, but at the time it was really crazy, and she was dealing with her addiction. And the short version is: is we went to Jesus Camp and stayed with the people who ran the camp. And they were right. your foster parents. And they became my foster parents. I call them my godparents, but they there was no relation to my family. They, How my old family were you? was in Orange County and they're in Northern California. So this camp that I went up to is called Golden Valley Camp in Volcano, California. Wow. Uh, in the middle of the woods. And uh, we went up and they dropped us off. How, the, how old are you at the time? Uh, I think I think me and my twin were four and my older brother was five. 
the whole idea is that we would stay for summer camp with the people who ran the camp, this, this couple named Robert and Vivian who were the camp managers. And we, we, we stayed for the summer and then they fell in love with us and we fell in love with them. And they asked if we could stay for the year and, and they could enroll us in school. And so that was my first introduction to the idea of Christianity. And uh, I really liked it. I mean, I really, I mean, summer camp was fun. As a little kid running around, we were kids from, you know, little kids from the city, you know, it was huge. I think it's something like 600 acres of, untouched with just a camp on it. Wow. Uh, and so we're running around. With all the traditional camp things. You tons can shoot of camp, yeah, arrows and, and arrows. Yeah, we had arrows and yeah. we had a water slide. Uh, right. I mean, it was janky, but Hiking. we had a little water slide. <laughs> uh, Hiking trails and all that stuff. Yeah, so I mean, it was, to me, kind of tied up in with that, but that was my first introduction to, let's say, religion. Uh, You're going religion. to church on once a week, or are you guys going to... Is Absolutely, it, Is yeah. it like more than once a week because you're at Jesus Well, camp? more than once a week because she also, during the year, worked as a kindergarten teacher at a Christian school, so then we were enrolled in the Christian school. Uh, I went to Christian school. We went once a week during school and then once on Sundays. What did you guys do? Uh, or well, is it like every day you're kind of celebrate doing some sort of celebratory chap- service? I can't remember, but we did chapel a lot. Okay. Like, yeah, you do a lot of chapel. Honestly, I'm not one of these people who has a crystal clear memory of my childhood. It is like absolutely disconnected from it. You know, it feels to me like something that somebody happened to somebody else, which I know I probably need to get therapy about. I, I but mean, it was, yeah, there was so much statement. Yeah. stuff going on and we were in so many messed up situations when I was with my mother. That's when the, the, the thoughts get clearer because like, I think it was just stable. You know, I, I don't tend to have stronger memories of, except for moments, you know? So yeah, I mean, that that was my first, and I really loved it. And I, I loved it, and I loved it, though, also because I knew my godparents loved it. Mm. And so, I don't know if you've ever read uh, The Varieties of Religious Experience, uh, Henry James. He distinguishes in that book between first, uh, uh, a secondary religious experience, which is one that you inherited, which is more like a cultural religious experience, and a first-hand religious experience, where somebody saw God, where somebody had an actual religious experience and they... Something transcendent. A white light moment, like a real... So I had no white light moment at that time in my life. I mean, people said that I needed to be washed in the blood of the lamb. And I was like, that that sounds great. (laughs) You know, like... Cool, if you guys are into it. You know, and they were singing songs. I'm like, this is dope. This is great. Yeah. Uh, And and it was great. And it was a great place to to grow up. So that was my first... I think that was my first... uh, How long were you there? So uh, we lived there for a while. Then my mom got clean for a little bit and moved to Hawaii. So we lived in Hawaii for about four or five years. And I'm sorry, your dad is kind of like not... Not yet in the picture. He will get back in the picture later. Okay, okay. But uh, so it's, it's for whatever reason, we don't need to go down the road, but like your, your parents are separated. Your mom is going through a tough time. You guys go off together. Then she starts to get clean. She kind of brings the whole family back. She brings the four th- boys think, back together and goes to Hawaii. I think if I'm... Uh, from what I've pieced together, I think what happened too is that they wanted to adopt, and so it, there oh. was there was some, some there was some talk about talk actually about actual full adoption, legally staying with these new godparents. Yes. What, what you call your godparents? Yes, because at that at that point, my mom was so you know out to lunch, and just we we really didn't know whether where she was at. And so once that started to happen, I think that was scary enough that she went to Hawaii, got clean, took us all over to Hawaii, and then that was just a so horrible, like just a really horrible four years of my life, not just because of, you know, I I will say that my mother was a fantastic mother aside from being a heroin addict. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't know how to, she was super loving. I talk to people and they're like, oh, that sounds horrible. But then I hear about their childhood. I'm like, ooh, I wouldn't trade with you in a million years. We were young enough that it seemed, it didn't seem weird, you know? Nothing seemed weird. And also sure, she, right. was, it was, your she normal. was encouraging and loving and she never made us feel. There was no physical, mental abuse, emotional abuse. There was some neglect, you know? There were times when we were, we were just paying for our, you know, surviving on our paper route money and eating fruit from like the neighbor's trees because you can eat fruit everywhere in Hawaii. But now I look back on that and I'm like, that was crazy. At the time it was fantastic. I, mm. will, I will honestly say... It felt great. I loved being independent. And she kind of raised us like that. She was kind of like, 
I remember at one point we called her at um, at work and we were like, "There's no food," and she's like, "Well, there's mac and cheese in the fridge," and we were, we were like kids, and she's and I'm like, "Well, I don't know how to cook mac and cheese," and she's like, "Well, then you're not going to eat," you know. And it was, <laughs> I really am so thankful that I had that chapter of my life. I, I have an attitude now of like, just do it, just figure it out. There's yeah. a way. Just figure it out. She used to give us twenty dollars and she would hold the twenty dollars out and be like, "Here's twenty dollars," and we would go to grab it. She's like, "Uh." Uh-uh. I don't want to see you until 7 p.m., right? Mm. <laughs> and you're like, wait, you say that to people now, and they're like, oh, my God, you're bribing your kids not to come home. Wow. People just don't raise their kids that way. And, and it was extremely dangerous, and I'm not saying they should. I would never raise my kid that way. But now, in retrospect, that nothing bad happened, we ended up being enormously capable yeah. of taking care of ourselves. It's an extraordinary and, uh, introduction into... Self, it, yeah, self-independence. Self-reliance. Yeah, so, self-reliance. Yeah, yeah. It's an extraordinary introduction into self-reliance. I'm feeling your story, which is that you don't want to look at this. You're not telling this story in a way that is shameful or full of sadness or you're being very clear. Like you celebrate parts of this because you clearly understand that parts of these things are directly connected to who you are today. And some of these elements of being introduced to the world at such a young age in this way, there's something you cherish about it. You know, man, it's so it's so t- intertwined. You know, you have to. I don't know. I'm not a healthcare professional, but I do know you have to he- heal the hurt where the hurt happened. And so there is. I I do acknowledge more and more. There was a long time when I was like, great, everything's great. It all worked out fantastic. All worked out for the best. And I do. That's my overwhelming feeling about it. But I also have respect for the fact that you know, at the time that it happened, as a kid, I wasn't aware that it would turn out great. You know, so there is, you know, there's always that trauma of like, you know, and when I say trauma, I'm not saying like majorly traumatic. There's just a trauma uh, of uh, being a kid and not knowing what's happening. And, and you're, you keep getting reunited, you know, and then sent away and then reunited and sent away. You know, there's those things that uh, obviously had an impact on me. Um, and that was the time. So Hawaii was also a lot of fighting. Like the the Hawaiian kids don't really like the white kids. And so that was horrible and getting beat up. And that was very traumatic. It wasn't a fantastic four years of my life. Wow. And then we went back. And then my mom got back in. She was, she was using the whole time and then started actively using. And it got back to the point where we were like right back in a, you know, a den, you know, like right back in a crack house, basically. Holy you know? shit. And like, and so that's when, you know, Again, I give her credit again, you know, when she made the tough call that when when shit was hitting the fan, she was like, okay, this is, they got to go. So I, I don't you really have- You went back to the Jesus camp again? I went back to my godparents. Yeah. My, wow. Again, like five years later, four or yeah, five years and later. I, and I can't even imagine the heartbreak it was for them to be, you know- To see you four years later Heartbreak on my mom's side, heartbreak on their side, you know, and so, wow. and you know, at this point we've been- running around the streets of Hawaii. Uh, I think this was right before junior high, right at the end of- Right, uh, you're now you're nine or 10. And we're and we're just, four years is enough for kids to just turn to go bad. Right. And we had really, but I what, what had happened for me, my brother went one way and me and my twin brother, my older brother went one way and me and my twin brother went the other way. And I don't know why, I just decided it was the most important thing in my life that I was gonna get really good grades and I was going to, like, I knew as a very young child, like, I got to get out of here. I don't belong here. Like, mm. that was something that was uh, in my consciousness. Like, I remember watching S- Star Search and being like, if I just, if I wasn't in this fucked up situation, I could be on that show. Wow. You know, I was like, why am I here? Why, why was I born in this situation? And then it was just at a point where I'm like, I'm just going to change it. And that took me a long, that kind of fuel I remember the moment, Mrs. McCullen, this teacher, Mrs. McCullen. Oh my God. It was there was a moment. This was a white light moment when I decided I was gonna get the best grades ever. Uh Mrs. McCullen was a local teacher and she uh I was crying because she gave us a bunch of homework that we didn't know how to do. She hadn't correctly explained. And I didn't realize that nobody does the homework. Hawaii has a horrible education system. Mm. I didn't realize nobody would do it. So none of the kids, the other kids just didn't do it. And I was crying at home. I didn't understand. My mom wrote a letter to Mrs. McCollin was like, can you please explain this? He's crying. She gets up in front of the class and reads it to the class. 
And mind you, this isn't a place where I'm getting my ass beat all the time. Like straight up, by the way, when you say ass beat, straight up people are like beating you in the face and kicking you and shit like that. I mean, oh, is yeah, it- yeah, yeah. Physically, yeah. I mean, well, they're also Samoan kids, you know, Samoans and Tongans. Right. Those, they're like really big. Yeah, you know, right. At, at that age compared wow. to me. And so- Holy shit, man. Uh, I also had great friends, by the way, too. But uh, Yeah, but I listened. I, the point is- But I was fighting, but it felt like I, that, the, those years feel like a prison film. But as a kid, you're terrified. Sure. And, and you got your little gang as you and your two brothers, and you're just all protecting each other as best you can. No, my, my older brother, my first day in one of these new schools, my older brother was the one who beat me up. He was horrible. My, my older brother was just a horrible human being. Wow. Uh, so yeah, it also felt like there was somebody at home who was- uh, you Holy know, fuck! Gonna gonna beat my ass. Uh, he was not the kind of brother, the older brother. <laughs> anyway, there was this moment when Mrs. McCullen humiliated me, and my mother came down, and she heard about it. And this is where I I just like think my mother was the f- most awesome mother in the world. And this is why she when she's messed up on drugs too too. But she comes down, she sits down with Mrs. McCullen. She's like, I heard you read the letter uh, in front of everybody, and she's like, Yes, yes, I you know I did, and she's like. Well, I'm going to tell you, you fucking bitch. <laughs> Just looks at her in the eye. And she's like, you're a fucking idiot. And my child is fucking smart. And if he can't figure it out, then you're the prop. And she's just like, and she just tears Mrs. McCullen a new one. And she grabs me by the arm and yanks me back up. And she just looks, you know, we're walking home. And she just is looking at me. And I'll never forget it. And she's like, do not let anybody tell you that you can't do something. You are so fucking smart. You're way smarter than anybody in there. You're smarter than Mrs. McCullen. And and that was a moment for me when wow. everything flipped. And I was like, and that became and and not to not to force the, the analogy here, but it's totally true. That became my higher power for a long time. Achievement. That was what I was gonna do. And so then from there on out, I mean, I went to high school, got great grades in high school, went to Berkeley on a scholarship, went to grad school on a scholarship. I can trace a direct line from that moment. Holy that became, shit. you know, there's these things that happen in your childhood and it becomes your programming. That was my programming. It took me a long time to realize that I wasn't running towards something, that 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 I was running away from something. But it was many years until that realization happened, you know? And, and it served me very well. That kind of juice of like me against the world of like, fuck you, I will show you. You know, and also, not to mention, we had missed so much school that there was these embarrassing windows in my in my education, even up to high school. I never learned cursive. I didn't know how to tell time from a watch. So I had these embarrassing moments where somebody would, even all the way up to junior high, they would show me a watch. And I'd be like, what time is it? And they would show me their watch and I didn't know what the hands on the watch were, you know. Sure. Until yeah, just, I, until like, I got old enough to, to realize, like, just teach just, yourself. I remember these things that I didn't know. I, re- I remember specifically yeah, people would show me their watch. and I It's would like reading like, a compass. If you can't read a compass, it doesn't mean that you're not smart. It's just that someone hasn't taught you how to read a compass. I mean, it's, but right. yes, exactly. I and see what you're, but my, how embarrassing that must have felt. My math skills, you know, and as like a young there, was, child. there was things that I got to junior high and I, I didn't know, I, we'd skip so much school. Wow. As a result of my mother being messed up that we, I had these embarrassing gaps. And so I felt so stupid and I felt like I needed to work a thousand times harder. You know, I remember getting into Berkeley and I just was like, had this massive, what do you call it? Um, not inferiority complex, but, um, that I, that they would figure, they would figure out that I was there. <laughs> oh, like found out that I would get oh, found imposter out. syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Is yes. The, is, yeah. Yes. And, and feeling like I need to work so much harder. Like I've got to work so much harder because like once they figure out that I don't know what I'm talking about, like, you know. Wow, man. Uh, it's a fucking so, cool story. Anyway, I don't know. I got on a tangent. What are we talking no, about? No, it's not a, it's not a tangent, man. It's your life story, dude. Yeah, yeah. This so that's a, the- I that's just wanted the, to hear yeah. about it. I mean, there's a lot of shit to hear. And to be honest with you, we got to take a fucking break. So we're going to hear more about it in the last section, everybody. We'll be right, right back. All right, everybody, we're back with Enver. Let's just jump right in. Enver, what I want to find out in the last segment of this is you have this very resilient story because I see the person that's sitting here. We heard the person that was in the first segment of this show. Then we get the backstory in the second segment of this show. I want to know 
how do you bridge a gap to a father I haven't even heard you talk about yet, yeah. to a mother that had this really difficult, clearly she has a resilient story too, because she bounces back and as you said, is doing very well now. And an older brother that was kind of terrorizing you at a young age. And off mic, you said you guys have a good relationship now. How how does this happen? Where do you go once you start having success in college and stuff? When did the when uh, did, and think, also I should yeah. say, where did the Christian camp stuff? Did the Christianity influence part of this, or was that just a healthy environment that helped you get into this other stuff? I, yeah, well, There's I'll start, there, I'll start but, with the the Christian thing. So sure. to to kind of tie it back in, uh, I love and I still love my godparents very dearly, and I think for their sake. I also really liked being a Christian. Then I got into high school. The, the thing about Christianity is it's it's so amazing. History of humanity is a history of genocide, tribalism, mysticism, and fear. Along comes a guy named Jesus Christ and is like, actually, do the opposite. Love a stranger. Love don't don't cast aside the weakest in your tribe. Love them more. You know, it's unreal. It's an unreal message right? And the principle of love that, to be honest with you, I did not feel that that principle was alive in the Christian church when I, when I was there. It was all about, you can't be friends with this guy. They're not saved. Proselytizing, it was, the proselytizing was so hard that it, it drove me away. And at the time there was the whole like, our, you know, gay marriage wasn't a done deal. And it was all about like, you know, you can't be friends with this gay, this gay, you know, this friend. And I was a drama geek. There was not a moment of, I would like to say there was a moment of um, conflict, but there wasn't. I immediately was like, this is wrong. I, I don't buy this shit. This is wrong. And it, and it immediately didn't gel. I was the type of Christian that read the Bible many times. And it immediately did not gel with what I read in the Bible. Now, maybe it gelled with one line in the Bible. If you chose to ignore an, a doctrine of love and just read deeply into one line about how gay people shouldn't exist, then sure, it gels. But that forces you to have a cognitive dissonance of of ignoring the message of Jesus Christ, you know? So I would say that I I, I like the idea of being Christian, is in Christ-like. And I didn't feel that the people I was around at the time, not my my godparents are amazingly Christ-like, I think, you know, in their ways and their actions. I did not feel like I was drawn to the church at all. So, but but I I do feel like I lost something. And so to get back to what you were asking me, here I am. I'm like you know, here's let me put it this way: everybody serves a higher power, whether you realize it or not. It might be another person, right? It might be your it might be your partner. For me, what I was serving was achievement, right? Me, I was serving me. My higher power was me. I need to get. And so my relationship with my family went nowhere, actually. I didn't, wasn't talking to my mother. I wasn't talking to my older brother. I had a close relationship to my twin brother, but it was just me off achieving for the sake of me achieving. And that became my higher power for a long, long time. Uh, and I think the the way you connect it together is it just ran its course, you know? I, 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 and I won't speak for anybody else. For me, what happened is personal achievement just became this black hole. The more I threw into it, the more I needed. I went to Berkeley on a full tuition scholarship, and that was amazing. And then I wanted to go to uh, NYU grad, and I wanted to get a scholarship, and I did. And then I wanted to get into the industry, and I, I, I kept getting these things that I really wanted, but it didn't not only did it not satiate me, it just made me feel like I needed more and more and more. And then, I don't know, I look back, I'm like, how did you even do it? I mean, I look back, on, I did that for decades. I did that for like 20, 25 years of just like, set a goal, get it, and then immediately move the goalpost, you know? Mm. And, and I feel like it, meanwhile, it just kept building up. It just kept building up. Like, you can't run away from, a, from a, the childhood that I had I felt like it was moving forward, but really it was running away. And what happens is you get to a point where I was at, like I described to you, um, I have literally got every single thing that I asked for, mm. and I'm miserable. I'm absolutely miserable. And uh, I'll tell you this story. So I'm, because I have had so many, and I, I never get into this, but for the sake of the story, I will. I've had so many close calls in my life, and as I know you have, right? These jobs where, I mean, I would have just, been a millionaire or I would have been the lead of some awesome show, you know? Sure. And like, I mostly don't talk about it because it seems like humble bragging and it's not, it's deeply painful, right? It's the most painful, dark stuff as an actor where you're like, oh, I almost had this. Sure, sure. So I'm telling this to a therapist at one point, I'm sitting there and this guy would always nod off a little bit 
Um, <laughs> and I'm just dumping. I'm like, why me? Why me? I just should have had this. I should have had this. Blah, 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 blah. And uh, I thought he hadn't heard me because, you know, he tended to nod off. And out of nowhere, he just was like, so uh, have you ever thought about volunteering? And I'm like, wait, what? I, what, are we, what are we talking about now? Because I just was talking about all of this other stuff. Did you, were you not listening or like, and he was like, well, maybe you would want to volunteer. And it, it's so funny, years later, I realized what he was trying to tell me. You know, I didn't even understand. It was so incongruous to me that he was trying to tell me like, maybe you should get out of your head. Maybe you're just thinking about you too much. Maybe, mm. maybe you should get into being of service, right? And that would help you. It, it literally didn't even register with me because mm. that was something I was like, yeah, I'll do it when I'm retired and, I, and my life is over. Like, what, <laughs> right. why are you suggesting that I volunteer for something? And I think for me, the big switch was um, I finally hit my bottom in terms of I, I just was really deeply unhappy and I was willing to try something new. And that's when spirit, I will call it spirituality. And when I say a higher power, I'll say this, a higher purpose. Because I don't know what a higher power is. You know, I know what my higher purpose was. was. For a long time, it was me. Uh, at certain moments in my life, it was a woman. That was the thing that was going to fix me. It's all these things that I think are going to fix me, right? That's my higher purpose at the time, right? Mm. It's going to be a job. It's this job. It's this audition. It's this, it's money. Right now, it's a lot of it becomes about money. You know, God, if I could just have this amount of money, I'd be okay. And I, I finally tried, I got miserable enough to try to be of service to the people in my life. And that's where it all switched around. And, the, and that, when I say my higher power now, that's what I'm aiming for. You know, I'm, believe me, man, I wake up freaking out like at least one day a week. But um, I started to just really concentrate on the 10 feet around me the people that I come into contact with in my life, I was not interested in having a relationship with my family members. And I started to, those are the people you have the most influence over, right? Mm. I have the, yeah, I could volunteer for some political action group, but I have the most ability to make these people in my life happy. The people that I, my friends, my family, my mother, my brother, my godparents, you know, these are the people that are, that we have the largest sphere of influence over. It's the people in the 10 feet around us. And I was so concentrated on being a, some, you know, important person to people that I don't even know. Uh, and finally things turned around for me and I just started to look at like, okay, how can I be, this is it. You know what it, you know what it is? I had a moment where I was like, okay, this is it. My life has started. I just had this moment where like it, in the future at some point, if I can achieve enough, then my life will start. And then I had a moment where I was like, this is it. You know, it's, this is it. Whatever right. it is, whatever my career is, whatever, whatever it is, whatever, how, how much money I have in the bank, it has begun. My, this, is my, this is now my life and now I have to right. live it. And I became deeply unhappy. Right? right. And so then you have to be like, how do I inhabit this life in such a way that uh, I can be happy now, regardless of what happens on the outside? And, and that's when things started to, to heal, when my relationship started to heal with my family. When, how many years ago was this? I really, uh, things got really bad about five years ago. And that's the, this is the thing that earlier you were referencing too, where you were like, it took me about three years. About five years ago, it took me about... Oh, no, so then let's say eight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so eight years ago, you start, you go through this three years of dredge, the bottom of all of this. And then what comes out of it is about five years ago, you start to realize it, what it's time to do now is to make the now better. You start making active, proactive, positive choices five years ago. Is sort of what you're saying. And now that's simplifying. Yeah. It's simplifying. Absolutely. It. But no, that's what absolutely. you're saying is you're you're eight years ago you're like trying to figure it out. For three years you're trying to you're going through the shit. Well, trying I, to figure I'll it simplify out. it even more. Sure. I, I I I realized that living my life for me was not going to make me happy. Right. Right. That right. was my big. That was my big spiritual moment. Is that that, that I that I and I'm not discovery. saying for other people. I'm. I hope other people. Sure, but and, you, know, you know, lots people, of other people say things like this. This feels like a really good human discovery. And people, you know, right now the philosophy is like, you do you. Everybody needs to just follow their bliss, you know. And and I, for me, that doesn't work. Mm. I follow my bliss, and it becomes a black hole that needs more and more and more and more, until finally I'm deeply miserable. I was on a date recently, and and she said, "Do you believe in God?" 
And I was like, I do believe in God and God is a central, is central to my life now. And she's like, oh my God, I feel the same way. I feel like everybody should just do what they want all the time and follow their own bliss. And I paused, there was this awkward beat and I was like, I'm pretty sure I believe exact opposite of what you just said, right? Because her God was one thing. Because that's hedonism. If I could define my God for you, my God is the community, right? It's, it's if when I concentrate on like, how do I make myself bigger? It doesn't make me happy. It just hasn't personally for me. If I can concentrate on how do I make the group, everybody around me rise, then I get to rise with it, but also I just feel so much better, right? Mm. And, my, and my problems all, all of a sudden are in perspective. All of a sudden, my problems are in the perspective of my problems, but everybody else's problems too. I, I try as much as I can to be of service to love. You know, that's my higher power. That's God, and that's what Jesus taught. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I'm not going to get into the thing. It's like, uh, is Jesus right, or was he actually? Did he actually come back? Did he actually die for our sins? Blah blah blah. I I connect to a doctrine of love. It personally, on a very functional level, lifted me out of what I now realize was like a four-year depression. And so that was my white light moment, is, was not realizing what it was, but realizing that it wasn't me, that my higher power could not be me anymore, that I needed a reason to survive and a reason to live that wasn't just going to be a fucking audition, you know, or a fucking TV job, that that was a really small life and that was a really small higher power. And I needed to get a bigger one. Um, Does that answer your question? What a great fucking answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could have seen his face. Uh, Ray Dalio. Such a, such a Ray lovely, Dalio has this humorous thing. take. His, his whole principle is like, his number one principle is to help humanity to evolve forward. And what I love about that is it's, that's a selfless principle. I, I would suggest it to people out there who are miserable. You know, I was miserable. And the only thing that worked was this completely counterintuitive thing of like not feeding my black hole, but actually going the other direction and like helping somebody else. And uh, it did work for me. And Vera, this is really beautiful stuff. I think it's deeply inspiring. A lot of times just for clarification, you know, Enver would kind of look to me and say like, yeah, man, you know, I've been through it. What he's also referencing is that off mic, I have gone through many of the same things that he's gone through, you know, not the exact yeah. same trajectory, certainly not your upbringing. I'm not trying to say that. Right. Uh, we had a very different upbringing, but this desire to try to fill a hole of success, and you know, you think your success relative to, some, you know, whatever, all that stuff is just, it's a, it's an endless track where there is no satisfaction at the end. And I love the way you talked about it. It's really, really beautiful. It, I certainly understand it, not only as just a human being living in the world today, but as an actor, certainly intimately, I understand th this story of your trajectory and the struggle with the business. But I think anybody can understand this struggle. I think it's a really inspirational story. We get a really interesting view, don't we? There's something about Hollywood where and, and I've been at a point in my career where these things have been offered out to me, right? When you're, when you're almost about to get a role, where mm -hmm. you're like, okay, you have no money in the bank. This could actually end up being a $3 million year for you, mm -hmm. right? If you get this role. And then it's yanked away. And it's like, oh, no, it was between you and another guy, and it went to the other guy. That happens enough times, or you see a friend of yours pop off, you know, right. and get really big. There's something really interesting and I think spiritual about LA can be where you can either get really enormously bitter after enough time that happens enough times and you just become enormously dark inside. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened to me. I became, I felt like I deserved that and I had been robbed somehow. somehow. Wow. Or you're speaking really eloquently about it or it goes the other way or I've met the most spiritual people I've ever met in my life in LA who have the best perspective on stuff because that happened to them and they went the other way. They were like, you know what? I, I have been close to enormous success or enormous money and it has been yanked back. And actually, I'm still okay. And that's exactly what was supposed to happen. 
So there's this interesting thing where I think LA is, it's the crucible. You end up with people here who have so much built up scar tissue that they're just toxic. And then you have the opposite, like Ken, our our good friend Ken Mm. Haynes, who's just been in this industry, had all kinds of success. He's been on every level of the success chain and he's just doing it because he loves it. You know? Right. And if you uh, listen to Ken's episode, his life is not about it. I mean, his job is incredibly important to him, but his story is about the love of his life and the trajectory absolutely. that that took, which is losing her to cancer, you know, and then that becomes so much bigger than anything else. That's the life thing that we're all living with. And just to clarify, or just to add on to something you said there, had you gotten, one of the things I like to say is, is like being an actor, it's like being in a lottery and having a one in 100 chance all the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like always having a one in 100 chance. Yeah. You have a legitimate chance of like winning the lottery all the time. Right. But most of the time, 99% of the time, you're not going to win the lottery. And sometimes you spend your whole career, you know, not hitting that one lottery ticket that you think you wanted or whatever it is. But what you're saying is, is you spoke again, eloquently about the person that makes the right choice to, to choose a more wholesome and loving way of living with those quote unquote rejections or defeats. But even the person that does win the lottery ticket, that person then will eventually have to come to the same. Oh, and we both know people who've won the lottery and are not happy. Absolutely. So yeah. we're saying there's there's two directions. Right? We're, we're like kind of making a hypothetical fork in the road. You win the lottery and go this way or you don't. Yeah. But even if you win the lottery there, the truth is you and I have won the lottery many times. Even that point, what we're saying is that lottery winning is the black the hole. Trick. In the end, everyone comes to the fork in the road where they have to make a choice. Either you're bitter or well, you choose also, to be healthy. The trick is, can you enjoy it? And, and that's where I've come to my life. I, I think, I don't want to say happiness, serenity, peace and acceptance are a choice. Everybody comes to a point in their life, because I've seen so many people get all of the, the prizes and they're still not happy. And you realize it's an eye-opening moment where you realize, oh, I thought that these things were going to make me happy. But at the end of the day, I have all those things and I'm not happy. It's a choice. There's this older actor who has like really walked me through some of the hardest times of my life. And he said something to me one time, and I literally didn't get it. He was like, Enver, you know, I'm calling him on, I'm on the phone. I'm complaining about all this Sure, stuff. I know this game. And he's like, Enver, when is it okay to be okay? And I was like, uh, I don't know. Let me see. Um, I guess uh, like like maybe in like two or three months, I have like a moment, like I'll be done with pilot season. You know, he's like, <laughs> now, <laughs> now is the only time that it is okay to be okay. You cannot, you literally cannot be okay in the past and you cannot be okay in the future. It's impossible. Now is the only time that it is okay to be okay. And I literally, at that moment, when he told it to me, it's like that arrow got through the castle walls and like went right into me. Mm. I I was like, oh, I have spent my entire life trying to be okay in the future. Like I'll do this and this and then once this and then this and this, and then I'll be okay. And there's a lot of people in LA, I think, who've been close enough to success where they're like, where they realize that it's just you got to be okay now. You know, if you can't be okay with the level of success that you have right now, you will not be okay with the level of success that you have in the future. It just won't happen. I believe that for me. That's the truth for me. That is a really lovely statement, man. This was a really beautiful interview. <laughs> you did a, this is a great, this is just great really? shit, man. Because I literally, sometimes I'm like, well, who cares about two actors? No, that? well, so here's, so... I don't talk about the business very much in this show. I have had lots of actors come on the show because right. many of my friends are actors and and they are people I know that I trust are thoughtful, introspective people. It just happens to be what it is. Not the whole right. show. There's lots of people that aren't. We rarely talk this much about the business, but what's important for me is to hear someone talk about their life. You're just talking, you're, whatever your business is, yeah. this is your business. So sure, you and I have a lot of commonality. We can talk about things in a way that we understand. You and I, we're going, we're going through similar things or have gone through similar things. I also need to learn to be happier in the now. And hearing you talk about what you're going through 
is very insightful to me. I think it's insightful to anyone that's just trying to live their life. I think what you're talking about is you're you have you're telling a story about not only a life trajectory of resilience, which I think is really impressive. Right. I knew some of these things about you, but as I find, I bring friends on that I've known for a long time. I'm often surprised by the right. shit they tell me when we talk at this level. Many of the things you told me about were surprising to me. Right. Your story of resilience is a really powerful one, but then also you're just talking about a dude who is trying to make peace with the now and where you're at in life. And no matter what level of success you're at, you don't have to look far when you open a paper where anywhere, you know, to see people that are highly successful that are unhappy. And what you're trying to do is just, you're just trying to choose happiness. I think it's a, it's well, a beautiful story. And you spoke also, eloquently about there's it. There's something interesting about being an actor too, because I think so many people, not, not just being an actor, but just actually the reality of being an actor. Cause so many people will look at you and be like, that's it. Mm. You literally, that's the dream. You made it. Yeah. You made it. You're, this you're is everything. an actor. You're fairly successful. You know, I'm like been making a living at this for like, for, you know, almost 20 years now. And, and I think you have a really interesting viewpoint from the inside where you're, where you kind of really see behind the Wizard of Oz curtain. We're behind it. Mm -hmm. And we realize that like, it doesn't change a fucking thing. It is all the same unhappiness, all of the same, all the same issues, every single one of them. I have so many people in my life who are like, well, you're just, I mean, you got no problems at all. I think it is important. I, I do like to share with people the reality of behind the scenes because there's so much, people are so disingenuous about, they're one way on social media, you know? Sure. Like my life is so sure. great. Social and media they, is a horrible place to sort of breed jealousy and competitive Everybody's selling the dream, you know? You're, you're, you're selling the dream and like nobody wants to hear the reality, which is that like, no, I'm just a person and, and uh, I have to choose happiness and gratitude I would say gratitude, not happiness. I, I have to choose gratitude every single day because I wake up and my programming is fuck. My, my eyes open every single day and my programming is fuck. I got to do this. I got to do this. Fuck, 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 fuck. You know, mm. I have to choose. I have to practice gratitude. It never comes naturally. I don't think it ever will, ever will come naturally for me. And that's my cure. That's my cure. I have to be like, wait a minute. Like my default is to be in service of myself and I have to choose, I have to pause and meditate and be like, wait a second, hold up, hold up, hold up. Can I occupy my life today? I, that's why I think being an actor is actually this really interesting behind the curtain thing where people don't realize like the amount of distress that, you know, they think we're all out <laughs> here living our best lives. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard people say, um, my brain is a bad neighborhood and I should never go there alone. Hmm. Right. No, I've never heard that phrase. It's, it's true for me. Yeah. Right. My brain is a bad neighborhood. I shouldn't go there alone. And mm. I try not to go there at night. I can tend to be self-obsessive and dark. Personally, that time I, I was missing a sense of purpose. And there's a lot of people who are working their fingers to the bone for a purpose, you know? And then you get out here and you have all this free time and you're unemployed and you're like, oh, what about me, 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 me? It, it is literally a downward spiral. It's the worst, it's the darkest place ever, in my opinion. You know, we are meant to, I think we are meant to work. I think we're much more hive animals. Everything about a culture is like, you be you. You go off in a corner and you do you to the extreme, to, to the times a thousand, and that's where your happiness lies. And we're all fucking miserable the opioid epidemic, everybody's, and we're split away from our families. We're split away from our core group of communities, right? But I think we're much more like bees. We make honey together. Have you ever seen a little bee off dying on its own? Like buzzing off in a corner, just like not with the hive, just like mm -hmm. dying. I feel like we're all like that. Mm. We're just, and we're not making honey together. We're not doing anything. Everybody's like off in a corner dying, you know? And I did that for years. I do like to be a part of the hive, man. I, I am a follower. I am a part of the group. I am a worker among workers. I like it. I feel really cozy right in the middle of the fold. And there's a lot of honey there. And we have everything is telling us like, don't do that. Be, be, be your own person. I won't tell anybody what to do. I like it. I'm just a bee. I, I like just being a, a bee in the hive and like in comfy in the, in the cozy in the middle of my community. I'm not trying to be special anymore. It's it's just exhausting. 
And Vera, that's a fucking great place to end it. All right, let's do it. <laughs> God damn. Thanks for having what, me. I mean, man. like he what literally just like almost just literally dropped the mic. If the mic wasn't on a mic stand, and <laughs> yeah, let, Vera, me, let me throw a dead expensive mic. After having just dropped some really beautiful stuff about his life, might literally have just dropped the mic and walked out and high fived. Well, thank you for having me, man. Man, I, it was it was fucking great having you here. This was beautiful. Thank you for being so open. Thank you for having done so much reflection and work on yourself and then being willing to share it with me. It was fucking awesome. And thank you all for listening. All right, thanks. Thanks.